0: So, next topic is The Hairy Ave, uh, written by Eugene O'Neill. So, about Eugene O'Neill, he is the second son of a well-known actor, James O'Neill, and he was born on October 16, 1888, in New York City. So, as a boy, Eugene accompanied his father on tour, and he was educated in various Catholic institutions, and at the Beth's Academy in Stanford, and entered Princeton in 1906. His early years were ones of tension and unhappiness uh, culminating in a brief and unfortunate marriage and he escaped his troubles by going to sea for two years and continuing the life of a sailor ashore for several years and he observed closely the various ironies that fate played in the seamy lives of his companions. He was also a reporter for a newspaper in Connecticut and when he was down with tuberculosis, He was admitted to hospital, and recuperating from illness at the hospital, he spent his time reading a wide sweep of dramatic literature, uh, particularly Ibsen and Strindberg. To court, his illness made him reflect upon his purposes and goals, and when he emerged from this decisive moment of his life, he was a playwright. And he wrote several one-act plays and attended George Pierce Baker's famous classes in playwriting. In 1918, he married Agnes Bolton and he became a successful and prolific playwright, winning Pulitzer Prize for Beyond the Horizon and Anachristy. And he was divorced from Agnes and in 1929 married Carlita Monterey. and he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1936. He contracted Parkinson's disease and died on 27th November 1953. Uh, next is a brief introduction to his plays. Uh, so, according to many critics, he is America's greatest playwright, and he is one of the great modern playwrights of world literature. His plays brought American drama, a stature it had never before enjoyed. So O'Neill's genius not only brought symbolism, experimental naturalism, and expressionism. To the American stage, uh, but it brought the American stage itself into world prominence. He wrote different kinds of plays, but he excelled in the field of tragedy. Though his plays are modern, he strove to bring into his work an effect in harmony with traditional tragedy. Uh, he once said to Court, "Most modern plays are concerned with relation between man and man, but..." That does not interest me at all. So I am interested only in the relation between man and God. And he focused his attention on man's fate and man's destiny. And he was a prolific playwright, uh, winning Pulitzer Prize and the Nobel Prize for Literature. And it's acknowledged the fact that uh, the American drama begin with O'Neill. So there was very little good drama before O'Neill. And one can see in his works, the influence of the European scholars such as Nietzsche, Schopenhauer, and Ibsen. So his dramatic imagination and different forms and techniques that he employed in his plays make him a great playwright. So when O'Neill was awarded the Nobel Prize, uh, Sinclair Lewis said, taking hold of the American drama, contrived to transform it utterly in 10 or 12 years. From a false world of neat and competent trickery, to a world of splendor and fear and greatness, revealing life as a terrifying, magnificent and often quick, horrible thing akin to the tornado, the earthquake, the devastating fire. So he wrote several plays, but all of them were successful and not all of them were successful on the stage. The way in which he presented his views has been widely acclaimed and he does not present his idea. Or message as a great statement. His ideas are dramatized. O'Neill seems to have thought in terms of scenes, character, and dialogue, and she he shifts his methods and technique quite often. And he may be said to be a realist in Beyond the Horizon, a naturalist in Desire under the arm, a symbolist in the great God Brown, and an expressionist in the Emperor Jones and the Hairy Ape. So according to Norma Foster. The mood of his plays is that of the disillusioned period after the First World War, a disillusionment deepened by the Freudian psychology. So the bulk of his work is realistic in form but he experimented with a number of anti-realistic forms and techniques and two of his best plays, the Harry Ape and the Emperor Jones are expressionistic. So some of his plays are mythical, uh, retelling in modern terms, the great fables of antiquity. His one-act plays are romantic drama within a realistic frame and O'Neill dramatized the life he knew best and in capturing the quality of that life, he captured also its enigma. So, O'Neill believed that the emotional factors do not reveal the depth of any incident or situation. He frequently presents inarticulate characters who belong to something beyond themselves. So, he remarks that Human life is unhappy. Men and women are maladjusted, frustrated spiritually, or tripped up by fate. So, in the midst of the general unhappiness, art alone is happy. So, art which finds beauty even in ugliness. So, the ma- major characters: well, first is Young, is the hero or the antagonist. So, Young works as a fireman on a transatlantic ocean liner. And he follows his quest to find a sense of belonging in modern industrial society and real name is Bob Smith. So, he is the antagonist Young Y-A-N-K. He was born in New York City and brought up in a lower class family. And he is known to take the physical position of Rodin's The Thinker. Then next female character is Mildred Douglas. Uh, she is a twenty year old daughter of the owner of Nasrath Steel and she has enjoyed the advantage of all of life's monetary privileges. And uh, he tries to understand she tries to understand the poor classes, she does not service project and she does service project and studied sociology in college. Another major character is Mildred's aunt. A fat middle-aged aristocratic woman was intensely critical of Mildred's involvement in social work. Next character is Paddy, an old and wise Irishman who works with young as a fireman uh, on the same ocean liner. And he is known for his drunkenness. And he thinks that firemen are forced to do slave labor. Another character is Long. A fireman abroad the ocean liner who preaches Marxism. So long takes Young to New York City to prove to Young that all members of the upper class are the same. Another character is the secretary who works at the IWW office in New York City. Then a gentleman is a member of upper class and the guard he works at the prison Uh, where Yang is held after causing the gentleman to miss his best. And there is an engineer, he he escorts Mildred into the stockhole of the ocean liner. Then coming to the summary, in the first scene, there is the opening scene take place, the forecastle of an ocean liner, an hour after sailing from New York on a transatlantic crossing, and the room is thronged with off-duty stalkers and uh, they are dressed in singles and dangreys and are stripped off to the waist. So, they are cursing, shouting, singing, drinking and also they are making very uh, fatuous remarks. So, the low ceiling of the room forces all men to stoop into a position uh, reminiscent of the neanderthal man or primitive man. So, since they drink alcohol to excess, they jump and shout with a bandit. So, the main figure, that is the character to whom all the men show a grudging respect is young. He seems broader, fiercer, more truculent, more powerful and more sure of himself than the rest. So, the drunken sailors discuss the merits of each kind of drink. Then Paddy. Paddy is an old Irishman. He begins to sing a song extolling the virtue of whiskey. And uh, the young uh, is very enraged and he orders Paddy, uh, the romantic Irishman, to shut up and so that he can think. So this boisterous drunken crowd advise young not to think and have a headache. So the stalkers are gated by their primitive instincts and they are not intelligent enough to think reasonably or talk sensibly. So when the noise dies down, one of the stalkers sings a song praising his sweetheart who is waiting for him at home. So this provokes Yang and he vehemently rebukes what he has said. So Yang who had run away from home long ago uh, believes that the ship is his home and women are an unfaithful lot. So Lang is another fireman and whose faith is rooted in socialist philosophy and points out the gulf that exists between the working class and the bourgeoisies. So the workers undergo physical suffering at the bottom of the ship while the upper class people who travel in the first class cabin they are enjoying their life. So there is no inequality between upper class and you no equality between upper class and lower class. So even though the Bible says that all men are equal and he is boot of the stage and Yang intervenes to present his point of view. So Yang asserts the superiority of those in the stockhold that is the occupants of the first class cabins. So the stalkers make the ship move and are therefore uh, they are integral part of the ship so they belong to the ship but the upper class who could not endure the conditions are superfluous. And he rebukes Lang for underestimating the services rendered by the bold, strong and powerful firemen. And he states that Lang is, who is physically weak does not belong to this group of men. So influenced by the words of the young, he the stalkers attempt to throw Lang overboard but are stopped by Yang. And after another round of drinks, Paddy talks nostalgically of the good old days when the men were the children of the sea. So but today the dirty smoke from the funnels and the hellish condition in the stock so offer a violation of that ancient order of things. So Paddy wishes to return to that uh, lost harmony of existence. So dismissing Paddy's view, Young praises the wonder of machinery and those who survive it. And at the stock of the hell sound, the workers file out like prisoners but paddy does not join them so yang remarks that paddy does not belong to the ship so in the introduced scene we are introduced to paddy and uh, yang uh, their sufferings in the stockhold and they are they have they can't stand properly inside that cabin so it shows or uh, remun- they are reminiscent of the neanderthal man and they are singing they are enjoying and also discusses about the Uh, inequality between the superior class and the low class men, even though the Bible uh, says that all men are equal. Uh, Young asserts that these liners are uh, very, uh, they are an integral part of the ship. Under the scene 2, the scene shift uh, to a section of the promenade deck. Mildred uh, Douglas and her aunt, they are found reclining on deck chairs And Mildred is a pale, delicate, 20-year-old girl dressed in white whose pretty face has a self-conscious superiority. And she looks fretful, nervous and discontented. Her aunt is proud, pompous and fat and is dressed pretentiously. So the day is bright, the air is clear and fresh but these two incongruous artificial figures mar the picture. So their conversation is affected with Bitchy literate snobbishness. And Mildred's father is the head of Nasrat Steel and obviously a millionaire and how around is acting as a paper one on this voyage. So Mildred, who is a social worker, has studied the problems of the underdogs at the New York's east side and she is on her way to London's Whitechapel district and intends to in- investigate the condition of the drowned- downtrodden there so she has made arrangements to visit the stockhold and study the conditions of the firemen so the second engineer comes there to escort her to the stockhold and the engineer persuades her to give up this whim by pointing out the problems of heat axes and dirt and particularly dirt on her white dress but she brushes all objections aside and she says she will throw her clothes if they get soiled in the dark, alleys down below. And she brags to the engineer that she has many more white cloth. And mocking at the engineer, she says, though he is an orphan, he is a radiating virility. But some titillating wish for sexual assault, she says, of her, of as her aunt calls her poser. And she slaps her aunt, insulting it across the face, saying, old hag. So in this second scene we are introduced to Mildred douglas a millionaire son of a million daughter of a millionaire uh, her father is the head of the nasrat Steel. actually she is um, intended to investigate the condition of the drowned orden and she also has a aim to visit the uh fireman on stockholm and to go to the, to visit there she is uh, will be accompanied by the second engineer And also, we are introduced to her aunt. And the third scene, uh, it is at the stockhold. Uh, there is one electric light, barely sufficient to illuminate the place. And the flames that are leaping up from the burning coal make the stockhold very hot. And the half naked crew members behave like chained gorillas. So, Paddy is complaining about his back, and Young upbraids him scornfully. So, then a whistle is heard, and the workers swing into action. So, Young feels proud of his physical strength. He shows the coal into the furnace continuously, and he is not tired of his work. And he encourages others to feed the furnace to the full. The whistle sounds again, and Young suddenly makes an angry gesture by clenching his fist at the unknown whistler. So Mildred, accompanied by both the second and fourth engineers, enters the stock and terribly shocked by the ghostly scene, Mildred is about to collapse. The firemen sees her and they remain dumbfounded, while Young, hearing the whistle again, starts to rage at it, waving his shovel in the air, beating on his chest like a gorilla. And shouting obscenities at it. And he turns around and stares at Mildred. He utters a snarling murderous growl. And he glares into her eyes. Turned to stone. So the effect on Mildred is appalling. The social worker who is paralyzed by the sight of young. Recoils from him in terror calling him a filthy beast. And the engineers remove her from the scene. And the door is shut with a loud slap. So, the Mildred Young hurls his shovel after them, it hits the bulkhead and clashes to the ground. So the sound of the whistle is heard again. So in the first scene, Yang is introduced and his friends Paddy and the situation of the stockhole. Then second scene, Mildred and her auntie is introduced and in the third scene, it is in the stockhole where Mildred is visiting the fireman in the stockhole, accompanied by the second and fourth engineer. Uh, and she is dumbfounded when he sees uh, whom Young and also fainted, and she calls her calls him a filthy beast. And Young is very becomes very angry and shouting at and shout at Mildred. And she he acts as a gorilla beating in his chest. And in the scene 4, uh, it is in the fireman's forecastle. Yang and other firemen have come off duty. All except Yang have washed themselves of cold dust and soot. And Yang is seated forward on a bench in the exact attitude of Rodins the Thinker. So the firemen are expecting another outburst from Young, and they tell him to wash. But Yang tells him that he's trying to think. And Paddy says that Yang has fallen in love. So Yang, whose face is livid with rage, snorts, I have fallen in hate. Paddy starts asserting Mildred's behavior with ironical scorn. And Long and other firemen cry out indignantly that they were treated as inferior species. And Long says that Mildred looked at them as if they were a bunch of monkeys. So, Paddy continues to tease Yang saying that he has fallen in love with Mildred. So, Yang replies that he had thought he was seeing a ghost. To provoke Yang, Paddy says that Mildred had hid her face with both hands as if Yang was a hairy ape escaped from the zoo. So, that remark was made by Paddy. He feels sorry because the shovel that Yang had flung missed the target. Actually, he flung the shovel to hit Mildred. Yang assures Paddy and others that he will definitely brain her if he gets hold of her. He is determined to take some kind of vengeance, and the crew members tell him that Mildred will never appear before him. And he rushes out to look for her, but is held down by the other man. And in the scene five. Three weeks later, on a Sunday morning in New York City, young and long swagger down to Fifth Avenue and the whole atmosphere is one of cleanliness, tidiness and opulence. And there are shop windows in the background, a jewellery establishment and a store which sells for clothing. So there the adornments of extreme wealth are tantalizingly displayed with enormous price tags. So this scene is an expressionistic one. And it is in effect seen through the eyes of Yang. So, Long is dressed in short cloth and Yang in his dirty daggers. So, Long tells him that uh, they are trespasses in that place because it is a private street. So, uh, they are actually they are not allowed to move freely in that street. So, forbidden for common people to enter. And since it is a Sunday, the upper class would have gone to church and may have come out soon. So this reminds Young of his early experience with his parents at home. So they used to persuade him to go to church but they would themselves be absent because on Saturday nights they would have indulged in heavy drinking. So Long has brought Young to his place with a purpose and he wants him to keep alive his hatred for Mildred by reminding him often how she had, she had degraded and humiliated him at the stockpile. So Long's aim is to raise young's class consciousness and Mildred is not only really the one person who treats the have-nots as inferior species. So Long wants to show against the whole class of which Mildred is only a member. So the rich will pay a huge sum of money for monkeys fur, but they will not pay that much for the skin of the hairy ape or a live ape either. So, provoked by this statement, Young swears that he will get it mildred. So, but Long opines that they must take legal action against the capitalist and should not resort to violence. So, at that moment, the rich people emerged from a church and they were all overdressed, especially the women. So, they all speak in toneless, simmering voices. So, obviously, they are not realistic, uh, rather they are stereotypes of capitalists. As seen through Yang's eyes, so as they approach, Young hatred increases, and he bumps into one man, with, who merely replies, "I beg your pardon." He bumps viciously into one after another of the men. Finally, he hears a lady announces ecstatically, <laughs> ecstatically, fur And the tone of her voice recalls Mildred. He tries to uproot a lamp post to use as a weapon. But he is not successful in his attempt, and he attempts to punch in the face of a man who has knocked him down while trying to board a bus. So immediately he calls for the police, and the cops who rush to the spot club, young to the ground, long disappears silently. So in this scene, uh, they are walking to a long and young walking to a private street, where only upper, upper class people are permitted to use, and. In an encounter with that people, uh, finally he was arrested by the police. And in the same 6, Young who has been arrested for his violent behavior at the 5th Avenue, New York, is sent to prison on Blackwell's Island and there is one electric bulb which illuminates one portion of the cell. And Young who has been giving a 30-day sentence is seen crouched on the edge of his cot, the attitude of Rodin's the Thinker. So, a blood-stained bandage is wrapped around his head. So, one can notice the effect of police violence on his body. So, he is violently beaten up and Young does not know where he is and wants to know where whether the place is a so. So, other prisoners mock at him and says that he would have been roughed off by police and that is why he is talking gibberish. So, they tell him that he is in a prison and they are very eager to know his story. So Yang replies that he was a fireman on the liner and suddenly shouting at them, he says he would break their skulls if they don't stop fooling him. So the boys, boys assure him that uh, they are his friends and will never ridicule him. So Yang informs them what had happened to him, explaining that a woman is to blame and then he identifies her as the daughter of Douglas of the Steels Trust. So one of the prisoners suggests that he ought to join the industrial workers of the world to get redressed, IWW. So he reads out the speech of a senator that appeared in the Sunday Times. And the senator has called the IWW as a subversive organization which aims to reduce man to the lowest level of an ape. So Young has decided to join this group and even with that steel magnet. So he vows that he will break through the prison and fulfill his wish. And he seizes one bar with his hands and braces against it with his feet like an ape. And the guards were also astonished to see the damage done with his physical strength. And with their oath they subdue Ang. So in the seventh scene, he wants this young wants to become a member of this group and he goes to the office. Uh, immediately after his release from prison and he was determined to avenge himself on Mildred and the class to which she belongs. So he believes that this group will give him an opportunity to translate his plan into action. Uh, But it is dingy, uh, commonplace and certainly not mysterious. A secretary is making entries in a ledger and eight or ten men are grouped about the table. And he, young, knocks at the door and enters the room. And he is given a warm welcome by the men sitting in the office and very happy to admit him to this group. And he pays the enrollment fee and the secretary explains the objectives of the organization. But young was under the impression that IWW was a secret organization and same was to wreck factories, and steel companies. He is puzzled to note that they have no secret agenda. And Yang, without mincing words, tells them that he is interested in blowing things up, particularly the factory belonging to Douglas of the Steel Trust. Uh, hearing this, actually, the secretary is terribly shocked and he moves away signaling to his men, who perry in Yang and search him. And then he is thrown out of the office. So the digited Young. Looking at the moon, is muttering a few words about himself and the world. He thinks that IWW is, an important, is as important as the Salvation Army and he tries to figure out what runs the world. A policeman on night patrol arrives and tells Yang to move along or else he will be arrested. So lock me up, put me in a cage, says Young. The cop can arrest him and put him behind the bars on charge of having been bombed. So the policeman replies, God, pity your mother for it. And in the final scene, he enters the Central Park Zoo at twilight. So, greeting the whole crowd of monkeys caged, Young walks up to one cage where a huge gorilla is squatting on his haunches on a bench. So, Young looks at him and starts a long monologue, beginning with admiration of the gorilla's strength, and the animal seems to respond, Yes young claims kinship so to mitigate his suffering he unlocks his heart to that gorilla and he tells him how he was insulted by Mildred, and how he spent the night on a bench at the battery so he says he's a human being like others who visit the zoo but he does not belong to them he and the gorilla are now members of the same club so they here they means Yang and the gorilla together can destroy everything, including Mildred and her class. So the gorilla has become for Young the symbol of his own oppression, and therefore Yang decides to release him. And Yang then jimmies the lock on the cage door and throws it open. He calls the ape his brother and tries to shake hands with it. So in answer to Yang's invitation to shake hands. The gorilla embraces him, crushing his ribs and then after looking around, uncertainly shuffles off and the ape picks him up and throws him into the empty cage and walks away. So holding on to the bars of the cage, Yang says that the ape too has rejected him. So his strength is uh, ebbing away and before dying, he appeals to the people. Ladies and gentlemen, Come forward and look at the only original hairy ape. He slips to the ground, dead.